This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast, a very special edition of the show brought to you live from Saniat Beach Golf Club in Abu Dhabi where Dubai Eye is broadcasting all day today. This is what we've been looking at. First of all, we've been talking about some breaking news that we got during the show. Economic data, PMI data for the UAE. Brandy has the details. Staying with economics, Professor Nancy Gleason of New York University Abu Dhabi here on Saniat Island gave us the bigger picture on the Abu Dhabi economy, particularly tourism. Yet, big economic focus today. Scott Livermore from Oxford Economics. He was talking to us about wider economic issues. And finally, staying with the tourism economy of Abu Dhabi, Michael Berlouis. He's the managing director of Wiz Air Abu Dhabi. All that to come. But first of all, that breaking economic news. Let's get down to business. We are the business breakfast and we've got some breaking economic news for the UAE. UAE PMI data out within the past 45 minutes or so. You have been crunching those numbers, Brandy Scott. I have indeed. Hot off the press, we have business conditions uh, for the UAE coming from S&P and their PMI data. It's not the best numbers we've seen come out. It's strong compared to where we are globally, but it's softer than where we have been. So let me talk you through them. We've got that headline index falling by a couple of points to 54.4 for November. Still expansionary territory rather than contraction. But the word soft is probably, um, if I was to do one of those word clouds that everyone was doing a couple of years ago, the most prominent um, word in this report. So let me tell you what's actually happening. Uh, We have new business, um, basically new orders, slowing to a 14-month low. Um, New jobs are still being created, but their employment has softened as well, as has purchasing and other business activity. The good news is that inflation is softening as well. Cost inflation is mild in this report. That's almost the opposite of what we saw with the Saudi report that came out yesterday. But we are falling back a little bit from those post-pandemic highs. Uh, Confidence as well, coming in a little bit lower than we've seen recently. In fact, it's second lowest for the last 15 months. And that obviously is having an impact on employment and what uh, bosses have had to say about that as well. Uh, David Owen, who's the economist who oversees this, um, says that UAE businesses are still enjoying robust growth. And he points out that that is a feat that's becoming increasingly more difficult in the global economy. And he's also pointed out the good news about the input cost pressures um, easing off a little bit, uh, because that obviously then feeds into what everyone pays for for goods at the other end. But he does say um, that the new business uh, growth is a particularly weak number this month. So glass half full or half empty? Um, We're at the half half. Um, But we have seen several months of really strong numbers. And that obviously is what this is being compared to. And of course, we're looking into 2023, aren't we? And this is this is the question. And we, you know, we we spoke to Professor Nancy about it and others as well. The the question is, as you go into 2023, is it going to be booming here in the UAE and the Gulf? Do I need to invest as a business breakfast listener? Do I need to hire? Do I need to build a new factory? Do I need to get a bigger office, whatever it may be? Or is it batting down the hatches, consolidation time, because the global economy is going into recession? And, and these are the decisions that you've got to make. And it is. That's the, that's the job of leadership, isn't it? Decision making under uncertainty. You don't know for sure. But you've got to think because you're weighing up those, 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 those hirings at the moment. Whether it's, you know, you're a small business and you're looking at two or three key hires for your business that will be expensive but will drive the business forward. Or whether you're a, you know, running a large hospitality business 
such as on Sadia Island or in Dubai, and you're thinking, well, do I need to hire 300 more staff because we're going to be rammed in the first quarter of 2023? And, and these are, it's this kind of economic data that informs those decisions. No, it is It is indeed. Governments make them on a macro level, and as Richard said, their businesses will be making them as well when they look at their plans for 2023. This is something we're going to hear about more in the show this morning. We've been speaking to Scott Livermore. He is the chief economist for Oxford Economics in the Middle East. He's been looking at his projections uh, for growth in the country for the end of this year. They've just released their Q4 report, but also going into 2023. How do the big trends that we're seeing around the world, the two eyes, inflation and interest rates which are not unrelated um, how do they particularly weigh into growth projections yeah exactly and uh, that's what he's been talking about but that's what a lot of people are talking about because the united states overnight we've had i think it's do- all doom and gloom you say it's it's mixed messages the, the doom and gloom for me is number one stock market down for a fourth day in a row recession fears number two jamie Dimon most high-profile banker in the world, warning of recession in 2023. Number three, Morgan Stanley, across the road on Wall Street, laying off 2% of its workforce, even though they're still making billions. That concerns me. You acknowledge all of that, but you say there is a silver lining in the economic data out of America. It's a weird silver lining, and this is why this particular slowdown is unusual in itself, which is that all of the strong indicators for the US economy particularly, and that is the engine of of global growth, the labour numbers, the hiring numbers, the jobs numbers, the wages numbers that we saw come out earlier this week, and most recently in the last 24 hours, the services numbers. So they basically tell us uh, how much is being spent, what kind of activity we're seeing in things like tourism and things like transport uh, are really, really strong. And every time these strong numbers come in, the last jobs report was was strong, the wage growth was, was punchy, we see the stock markets fall because that strength indicates that the economy can handle a bit more tightening when it comes to interest rates. And obviously, we don't want to see higher interest rates. Markets don't want to see higher interest rates. Businesses don't want to see higher interest rates. And that's why the market falls when that good news comes out. Let's get some more insight on the US economy. One story I noticed out overnight was it's not a macro story. It's a business story. Apple. Tim Cook, the boss, came out and said, we are going to start making semiconductors in the United States again. They're worried about supply chains. They're not getting enough stuff out of China. We know about lockdowns at at Foxconn factories where Apple iPhones are made in China. So they're saying, okay, let's bring manufacturing back to the United States. They haven't made a semiconductor, a microchip in the United States for a decade, but they're going to do it again. Big factory in Arizona because they want that certainty of supply in their biggest market, which is the United States. So chip chip manufacturer coming back to America for Apple. We've been speaking to the economist Jean Walters at Emirates MBD here and and I asked her to test my theory. My theory is this is quite a big moment in global supply chains. The world's biggest company, depending on what day it is, Mm -hmm. Apple, deciding to re-onshore production of microchips. That, for me, is a biggie and tells us a lot about where the global economy is going and trade relations between the US and China. But maybe I'm overreading it. I don't know. So we asked Jean, and this is what she had to say. There are reports that Apple is planning on sourcing at least a share of its required semiconductors from a production facility being built in Arizona by 2024. This is part of a broader initiative to increase microchip production in the USA on the back of continuing supply chain constraints linked to COVID-19 shutdowns in Southeast Asia. 
More generally, the supply chain disruptions experienced across the globe in recent years will have encouraged companies to diversify away from single source suppliers in a bid to increase resilience and reduce the risk of future disruptions. That is Jean Walter. She's an economist at Emirates MBD. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right then, we're down here on Stadia Island broadcasting from the golf club which is lovely but we are the business breakfast so we have to do the day job we're here to look at the tourism economy of Abu Dhabi our first guest this morning I'm delighted to say is Professor Nancy Gleason of New York University Abu Dhabi the campus is here on Sadia Island Professor Gleason good morning thanks for being with us good morning thank you for having me so let's talk about tourism in Abu Dhabi we know the diversification story tourism's massive in Dubai how big a deal is it in Abu Dhabi Tourism is hugely important to Abu Dhabi. There's been massive investments into infrastructure, housing, hotel rooms, and of course the museum scene here on Sadiat Island is burgeoning. Along with the galleries at New York University, there's the Louvre, the pending Guggenheim, the Natural History Museum, and the the, um, cruise ship ports are here. So there's potential to bring in more tourism and more job and growth opportunities as a result. So explain the subtle nuances of Abu Dhabi's tourism strategy. We're here on Sadia Island. I drove, a, drove over Yas Island to get here. From my perspective, Yas Island is more about the kind of the, the having fun type stuff with the theme parks and the water parks and Warner Brothers, which is great. Sadia, yeah, you still have fun. You're at the golf club. And you, but as you say, a little bit more cultural, perhaps, with the, the museums? I think so. And it's still very much growing. There's huge growth potential on Sadiat Island itself. Uh, there's the new um, dining and, and shopping area, Mamsha, which is filled with life and has views of the ocean and the Louvre and the other museums that are coming along. And there's a vibrant sort of arts culture to the island of Sariat. Um, dance performances on a regular basis, um, singers, and it's very, very close to Yaz Island. I mean, for some, you wouldn't know the distinction when you cross between the two. So you're connected to um, the arena, the F1 circuit. Uh, we're gaining SeaWorld that will be opening soon. Um, we have the new uh, Abu Dhabi Aquarium, which is not far. So. Um, these are things that a whole family can participate in uh, and and really are for multiple generations to participate in. So th- these things, I mean, in, in economic terms, you're a political scientist, they, they are demand drivers. If you look at the Louvre Museum, it's a wonderful thing in its own right. But part of the, the, the point is to pull in tourists, as is a golf club like this. Is it working? Is it pulling in the international tourists? I think we're definitely seeing increasing in numbers. Also, this is because the UAE government has worked hard to increase the number of hotel rooms available. So we're seeing significant increases in the capacity to hold these things. More huge events that bring in um, uh, tangential tourism. So we would anticipate things like Expo having a knock-on effect for things like the Conference of the Parties in in, uh, 28 for the UN climate change negotiations next year. That will bring in as much tourism as it will bring in people interested in participating in or learning from the climate change negotiations. Yeah, you're coming into COP, which is in Dubai, but you're going to say, well, I've wanted to see the Louvre for years, so I saw John Cena jumping out of an aeroplane going to visit it, so I'm going to do the same. Right, or even the Grand Mosque, some of the heritage sites we have here, Al-Hosan, these are amazing opportunities to dig deeper into the historical heritage of the country as well. Castle Hull is gorgeous. I went there with my wife about a year ago. It's, it's beautiful. So fun. It's an old castle in the middle of Abu Dhabi. Yeah, and the food there is spectacular. You really get to experience different cuisines. Sometimes they have falconry and, um, you know, interesting things you can do right in the downtown setting. Okay. 
We've also got a university slap bang in the middle of Sadia Island. We you do. work there, NYU yes. Abu Dhabi. It's been around, what, a decade or so now? We are. We're entering, I think, our 12th year, and the campus has been open for seven years, and it's really an exciting place. How does that fit in to the whole cultural tourism thing in, in Sadia Island? It's clearly not a tourist destination. Well, we do have lots of public programming open to anyone who wants to come, especially in this post-COVID-19 or post-vaccine opening up. There's great opportunities to attend the Arts Centre, which is all the programming is open to the public. And anyway, universities have an opportunity to create a vibe that's exciting. Uh, so it's not just the NYU Abu Dhabi students and staff and faculty that bring that section of the island to life, but it's the other people that want to be around it that make it so exciting. And New York University is known for its arts and culture, so it fits in nicely with the museum and heritage um, experiences you can have on the island. Let's finish with the economy of the UAE. We know it's booming this year. You don't need to be a PhD in economics to know that. The question is, What's going to happen next year? Because there are divergent views. UAE booming, oil's almost 100 bucks a barrel, and yet all the talk is of the US going into recession, Western Europe going into recession, China is very flat at the moment. Can this be sustained, Professor Gleason? this almost decoupling? Sure. So I think the UAE has been extremely effective in diversifying its economy away from fossil fuels. And this is resulting for the Abu Dhabi an 11% increase in GDP. This is massive compared to decreasing growth or decreasing um, momentum in other economies. So the UAE and Abu Dhabi in particular has been able to harness other aspects of the economy for success in 2023. I think we should look out for disruptive technologies to play a role that the UAE is very well positioned to take advantage of. So thinking of things like uh, GPT-3 and chat GPT, this new AI generative text, <laughs> The UAE is really ready to take advantage of what that might mean economically. And a final quick word, overnight we've heard from Adnoc, they've set up a new division called, I can't even remember the name of it, but it's Low Carbon and International Growth. What do we make of these initiatives? Huge opportunity for green growth and jobs. Huge opportunity to leverage the education structure here in the UAE to create jobs that are leveraging technology and helping address sustainable development goals. Professor Nancy Gleason, I'm going to give you your full job title, deep breath here. Uh, Professor Nancy W. Gleason is Director of the Hillary Ballon Center for Teaching and Learning, Associate Professor of Practice, Political Science, New York University, Abu Dhabi, Sadiat Campus. Ah. I did it. There we go. <laughs> Nancy, good to see you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Here on Sadiat Island, we are going to look at the economics, not just of Abu Dhabi, but of the nation as well. It is that time of year when we start making a list and checking it twice, at least when it's, uh, it's in terms of looking at how different sectors have fared and what their prospects look like for the new year. Very pleased to be joining now by Scott Livermore, who's the ICAW Economic Advisor and Chief Economist and Managing Director of Oxford Economics Middle East. They've just released their Q4 report. We're going to dig into it. Scott, good morning. Thanks for speaking to us. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Before we look to 2023, Scott, talk to me first about 2022. What kind of growth rate are you expecting the UAE to clock in at this year, particularly the second half? Yeah, so I think 2022 has been a record year for the past decade or so. For GDP as a whole, we expect growth around 7.5%, the non-oil economy to expand by nearly 5%. And as you said, Brandy, this is a time we make 
lists. And one of the things we do at the end of the year is look back and see how our forecasts at the beginning of the year fared. And I think if I was looking there, the UAE has fared much better than we expected. We all expected a strong start to the year, post-expo, uplift, recovery from the COVID pandemic. But the UAE economy has managed to maintain that momentum through the course of the year. And if you look at high-frequency indicators such as the PMI, tourism flows where Dubai air traffic's back to pre-pandemic levels, look at what's going on in the property market, I think the UAE economy has proved much more robust uh, particularly to some of the global headwinds than we were expecting earlier in the year. Which brings us to Richard Dean's new favourite word. Uh, decoupled has become the new pivot when we are discussing what's happening with the economy. The fact of the re- that the rest of the world um, can be slowing down in so many ways, and yet here it, it certainly feels like full steam ahead. Why have we got that decoupling, Scott, and how long can it last? I think the first thing, we're not totally decoupled. So UAE is very open, very integrated, and we're not totally immune to the prospects of the recession um, in Europe and the US, the impact of higher interest rates. But I think what's critical here is so much of the growth is domestically driven, um, either through the spending of the government to support diversification plans that have been embodied in We the UAE 2031, those supply-side reforms which boost the numbers of people coming here to live and invest. So we're really having this positive dynamic, this positive uh, virtuous cycle of public sector-led growth capturing a lot more uh, private sector impetus. And that, although, as I say, we're not immune to what's going on in the rest of the world, means that we expect nominal growth around 4% again next year, which is pretty Pretty remarkable, as I say, when we think other parts of the world could well be in recession in the first part of next year. But lest anyone think we're just blowing smoke around the place, you do say um, that you are expecting growth overall to slow next year. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I think if you just take the headline GDP growth, we could go from around 7.5% this year to around 2 and 3 quarters percent GDP growth next year. And within that, that's really driven by oil production. The OPEC Plus decision, the cut in production that was announced last month, and the OPEC Plus seems to be holding course. That means for the year as a whole, the oil production is going to be broadly the same level next year as it's this year. So not really contributing to the economy. And that follows around 15% growth this year. So it's really the oil sector that pulls down the headline sector and why we see a slowing in the oil sector, it's much more modest than the non-oil sector, non-oil GDP will be one of the strongest growing economies in the world. How much is, is that growth rate comparative, though? If on the back of between 6 and 7% growth this year, um, is it just a, a case that coming off a high base um, makes it feel slower? I think what's really comparative with the rest of the world is non-oil GDP growth. Um, at the, If you strip out oil, then the economy is much more similar to what we see elsewhere. And that's where you really see the robustness and the positiveness we feel for the UAE economy. The oil production sector is important for UAE. UAE, It funds a lot of what the government is trying to do. But especially at these times when the global economy is struggling to recover from COVID, it's likely to be much more volatile and production is going to stop, start, which kind of affects the headline number. And can but shouldn't overshadow what we're seeing in the non-oil economy.
Let's talk actually though about oil for just a second longer because we are under $80 a barrel this morning. What kind of price projections have you built in there at Oxford? So over the last few months we've pulled down our prices and it's very volatile in the market at the moment. I think that's fair to say there's uncertainties on demand and supply and that's reflected in prices. I think OPEC Plus has demonstrated that it can put a floor under oil prices and they're probably slightly lower than they'd like to see or feel comfortable see with a little bit of headroom. So our forecast for next year, we anticipate oil prices averaging around $90 a barrel. Uh, but within that $90, there's going to be peaks and troughs as uh, the, the supply and demand uncertainties I mentioned play out during the course of the year. What are you expecting to see in the non-oil sector in terms of... The, the sectors within it that are doing the most heavy lifting. Are you expecting to see any change in the, the ratios that, that contribute to GDP? Well, I think if you look on the short term and look at next year, you're going to see a continued growth in tourism. We've had a really strong growth this year, but we expect visitor numbers to continue to increase and expand by 20% next year. And as we, we know, tourism is an important pillar of the economy. We're going to continue to see strong growth next year in the real estate sector. Um, Off-plan sales are picking up and construction is likely to be continue to, to push through growth. And they're going to be important drivers next year. But as we see with the vision going forward, there's going to be a broader set of sectors that drive growth over the long term, longer run. So we have retail, we have high-tech digital sectors, creative industries, um, and we're seeing growth as we look forward pushing on a number of pillars and, and being quite diversified within the non-oil economy and not just diversification, meaning non-oil growth expanding relative to oil GDP. Talk to me about inflation, Scott. I've read your report. You think that inflation may have peaked here in the UAE. Yeah, if you look at the latest Dubai data, there's signs that inflation is heading down. And if you look globally, uh, commodity prices, whether it's oil, food, the Year-on-year increases are much lower than we used to in this, the, the, over the past year, and they're starting to feed through. And that's likely to feed through into our import prices. We're very open um, and, in, in, and pull down the headline rate. There's reasons to expect inflation may be slightly higher than we've become accustomed pre-pandemic. Um, all this positive growth, people coming to live in Dubai, the recovery in the property sector, means that we're likely to see a period of higher of sustained higher increases in rents, which pushes up that important component of the CPI. Uh, but the, the headline message is that inflation is likely to fall back during the course of 2023 um, to a level which we're, we're all much more comfortable with. Thank you for joining us so much this morning. Scott Livermore is the ICAW Economic Advisor and Chief Economist and Managing Director of Oxford Economic Middle East. They've just released their Q4 report where they do expect to see strong non-oil growth next year, but growth declining overall. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Taking a deep dive, not just into the Abu Dhabi economy, uh, but to tourism within it this morning, for it is the season, which we can tell you firsthand. Now, Wizir Abu Dhabi is celebrating its one millionth passenger for 2022, and we're very pleased to have down live in our open studio, uh, the Managing Director for Wiz Air Abu Dhabi, Michael Burlui. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So what does 2022 look like for you in general? 
think it's been a great year for us. Um, we've rapidly expanded. We started with four aircraft. We're going to end the year with eight. We're doing about 100,000 passengers a month and about 650 flights. And we're about 80, 90 percent full. So for us, I mean, out of the pandemic, it's a very strong start. And we're looking to end the year on a very high note. 80 to 90 percent is not a, a, a bad um, result for an airline that is only a couple of years old. I mean, we don't have pre-pandemic numbers to compare for you because you launched during COVID. How has that affected your, your projections? Um, for us, the model needs um, high load factors. So rather than keep prices high, we try and basically reduce the price and fill up the aircraft. So for an ultra low cost carrier like us, 80 to 90 percent is about normal. So has COVID itself and coming out of COVID performed the way that you expected it would? We, we spoke to Wizz Air Abu Dhabi just before you launched. In fact, we were at ICD Brookfield. We were at another home away from home. Has it moved like you expected it to? Um, yes. I think the only thing for us is maybe the, the pickup and the pent-up demand was stronger than we expected. Um, so by March, I mean, January wasn't all that great. But by March for Eid, we were already at um, full capacity. And have you been able to staff up to, you mentioned the new planes that you are, are buying. Have you managed uh, to meet that demand with your own operations? Yeah, so we started the year with about 200 staff. We're already at about 400. Um, we have a small office uh, contingent, but we have great demand in the region for cabin crew and elsewhere for pilots. So staffing has not been an issue. It's just um, getting people processed through the door and trained. Let's talk about your uh, your fares, actually. As you mentioned, you are a low-cost carrier. That is the business model. Um, we do have globally high inflation at the moment. How are you coping with higher operating costs? So for, the great thing for us is that overall the margins are smaller, so the cost structure is smaller, which means that the inflation, which normally inflation is a percentage of the total cost, which means our absolute numbers goes up small, less, right? Um, the fuel costs we've managed to deal with, we haven't had to pass much of that to the customer and we're always basically looking for cost saving ideas. But ultimately what you see is that our prices are stable, around about a thousand dirhams um, for the longer destinations and within the GCC we sometimes sub a hundred dirhams. Is the ability to adjust your prices on the fly, um, the fact that uh, the low-cost model effectively has bolt-ons that people pay for, whether that is you know, extra luggage, food, etc., does that help you to manage those costs? They do. I mean, it doesn't manage the cost as much, but it gives the passengers choices. So if, you, for example, you were going somewhere and you, and you didn't want to buy the bag, you can get rid of that, save some money and go only with the, with the cabin bag and still afford the holiday. What do you see happening to fares across your industry as a whole? We put this question to another um, boss of a, of a low-cost carrier a couple of weeks ago, Tony Fernandez from Air Asia X. Where do you see flights sitting, fares in general, sitting over the next year? I think over the next year, there will be inflationary pressure. So globally, um, and probably in the region, the fares will go up. Like I said, but for us, we see a smaller increase in our fares and ultimately we see ourselves benefiting because as the other carriers, the higher cost carriers, fares goes up, people would normally try and switch to a lower cost carrier. And although our fares will be slightly higher, it will still be a much better deal than the traditional carriers. Is moving closer to some of those traditional carriers with a, a premium economy sector, which again, we've seen some low cost carriers yeah. do, is that part of your plans? No. So, so for us, um, the whole model is to keep it as simple as possible. We have one, one class, it's all economy, all the aircraft are exactly the same. We spend minimum ground on, time on the ground, which means that our processes and, and operations need to go like clockwork. 
So for us, it's just about keeping it simple. We offer a very simple product. We get you from A to B and we try and do it as cheaply as possible. So talk to me about destinations then. 36 destinations at yeah. the moment. What are the plans for 2023? So we're still looking to expand into the Indian subcontinent, um, a little bit more into um, Africa. We're very strong in Eastern Europe uh, already. So the last part we're looking at is potentially um, Central Asia, where we've already started with Samarkand and Tashkent announced. How yeah. many new launches, for example, could we see this year? Um, we're hoping to get another four to five aircraft um, next year. And um, we'll probably launch about maybe five to ten destinations. With a lot of airports still coming back to full capacity, back to life properly around the world, how does that impact your ability to expand? Um, we, we have a great partner in Abu Dhabi airports. Um, we, we just had a great um, holiday weekend and we had record numbers and you know, it, it was managed very, very well, I should say. Have you seen a World Cup bounce? Um, sorry? Have you seen a World Cup bounce? Um, a bit, yes. We don't operate to, uh, to Doha, but we've had some additional um, uh, traffic coming into Abu Dhabi. Which yeah. is what I'm asking. Where yeah. have some of those visitors come from? For the moment, we've got about 40 seconds left with you. Where is your winter traffic into Abu Dhabi coming from? Who's coming here? Um, we have a lot of traffic from um, Azerbaijan. We have um, Tel Aviv is very strong. We also have Central Asia like um, Kazakhstan and also some from Eastern Europe like Sarajevo. And the load factors looking into the first quarter of 2023? Like I said, we always aim to be about 80% full, and so far we're achieving those targets. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Michael Burloy is the Managing Director for Wizz Air Abu Dhabi. Joining us here on Sadiat Island this morning, where we're broadcasting not just for the morning, but all day. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.